With a new wave of the pandemic spreading wildly through the slums of Kolkata and the devastation caused by cyclones Yas and Ampan, the team at Future Hope haven't stopped helping those in need. The whole school has pulled together to get rations out to people who are homeless and starving. A Covid ward has been set up at the school and even a soup kitchen out in the Sundarbans. Meanwhile, lessons continue miraculously online under lockdown. In this last podcast, we hear from Future Hope's founders, Tim and Erica Grandage, CEO Sujata Sen, school principal Madhuravi, and alumna Chili, who sang and composed the music. We also hear from alumni Rajesh and Mintu, who was the very first Future Hope boy back in 1987. Don't miss Little Nightic at the very end. You can catch up with all Future Hope's news on Twitter or Instagram or on their website, They never stop helping other people to make the world a better place. The moment the daily wagers lost their work that was the moment that for for us the alarm bells were ringing because most of our or all our day scholars come from families where there's very little security many live just hand to mouth so they earn their money they can just pay their rent they get a little bit of food many haven't got the money to send their children to school that's why there is future hope earlier people somehow used to manage to get money from somewhere, but this is completely different because it's complete lockdown and people can't go outside, and people can't arrange. Even now at this point of time, people are like selling their goals or mortgaging their goals to get some money so that they can feed the children or they can pay some fees to the school so that their kids can continue their education. It's completely disaster. You know? They don't know tomorrow they're getting up in the morning, they don't know how they'll get the money and how they're going to feed their kids. In every family, people have got this infection. Some people got cured and some people could not survive. And I think now there is no family left where close people have not died. So the situation is really grim. What do they have? They have boiled rice and boiled potatoes for lunch. And many a days they just drink water and, and go to sleep. That's dinner, water. And they say, I don't care if the virus is around. I need to feed my family. You know, you have no choice. You have to go to work. You have to earn something to feed the family. The sad thing is that what's going to happen in India, it's going to even erupt in a much bigger way, is going to affect the world. Initially, I thought, oh, this will be three weeks and then it will be over. So it was one of our trustees who actually um, said the people in Delhi, you had this massive exodus of people, of migrant workers going back to the villages. And he said, we're giving food packets there. Can we do the same for you in Calcutta? In the first wave of COVID last year, how many food packets did you hand out to the local community? We uh, reached 70,000 people or more. So it was food packets, uh, which would last them for a fortnight. In many cases, we also, uh, when it was winter, we gave blankets. Uh, uh, when there was this horrible cyclone, we also went with tarps. You know, in many cases, we helped also repair roofs, which had just blown away. 
and houses which had been badly damaged. You know, we discovered a new power and new reach of Future Hope in the last uh, one and a half years. You know, Future Hope has alumni and staff and senior boys and girls who are willing to go out anywhere required and help. We had people, boys and girls and staff willing to work all the time and say, no, we didn't hire any labor. Our boys were the labor. They carried the food packets on their shoulders. They carried it into the trucks and loaded them and unloaded them. I mean, they just kept on saying, more, where should we go next? So there was a new power and a new, you know, strength that Future Hope has got out of the situation. And uh, you know, all of us feel a new energy because of uh, what we are capable of doing. You know? During a time of absolute crisis, we feel that we can do something. So I came to Future Hope when I was uh, six years old. I never, I did not knew any English words or anything like that. I did not even attended a school. So coming, coming here, I attended a school like past class 12 and now in college. So in my family, nobody has ever even passed class 10. So I'm the only one. My class two, I have studied uh, science mostly. And uh, now I'm doing uh, behavioral science and applied psychology. That's a very interesting course. And I love the subject. And I hope I can do something beautiful out of it and help the community. There was a huge pressure on Future Hope at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and all of you young women uh, stepped in and, and helped with running the COVID ward, running the homes. Tell us a little bit about uh, particularly working in the homes and trying to sort out a routine for the children. When the COVID first started, like all the hospitals were filled and there was no place for us to go. So, so some of my friends got the COVID-19. So Future made a like COVID isolation ward here and like in our school. So everybody who were feeling sick or had fever, they were all shifted here. So some of us volunteered actually to help here because there were no nurses that we could find. So we only stepped out and, you know, moved out of the bubble and came out of our comfort zone and tried to help them. And yes, there was a strict protocol that we had to follow, like wearing PP tickets and everything. And hopefully everybody is good and okay now. But in the homes, like when this COVID started, like there was lockdown and everything, everybody was so like bored and did not know like what would happen or like when this will end and when we can go back to the normal way we lived and we did everything. But uh, slowly and gradually everything, you know, became like we had to know like this is the new normal, like doing online classes, doing everything online, like indoor sports and uh, watching and news. And so those all became like normal. So, yes, it took time for us to, you know, get used to this new normal and everybody's fine now. We had a point that we thought, right, we need to get the school going. We need to do something to get a structure into the homes, but also for the day scholars. Because the day scholars, they couldn't socially distance. They were just sitting with loads of people at home. A lot of very upset parents because they had no money, they had no work. You had far more men just sitting in the slum doing nothing. So it wasn't a positive environment that the children need to be able to learn. At that time, it was really difficult because many of our children did not have uh, smartphones. Without smartphones, video calls are not possible. So at that time, maybe we had about 50% children connected because many of them did not have phones. And some had phones, but they did not know how to operate 
So we helped the children and we downloaded the apps for them. We taught them how to log in. And not only children, teachers also. Many of our teachers were very scared of online teaching. Like they would say that, oh, how would I work on a computer? Or how would I work? How would I teach online? They didn't believe it was possible. They didn't believe that they'd be able to get onto online with the children in the slums. When we managed to get every child a smartphone, a cheap smartphone, in the slums, and the teachers were able to connect, that gave them a huge buzz, and they really started to, to enjoy that. So it was really amusing and challenging both. It was amusing also the day, the way the teachers used to react as if, you know, something frightening is going to happen and, you know, teaching online would be very difficult. But the teachers also adapted very well. And you will not believe even the teacher who never touched a computer in her life is now doing a good job. She's teaching online. She's sharing content, like showing videos to the children, showing PowerPoints. So this is a very, very positive thing. Initially, you know, when the online classes started, children were very shy. They wouldn't switch on their videos because they would feel that, you know, the teacher would see my house and they used to feel bad initially. But then the teachers, you know, they counseled them, they spoke to them and they told them that it's okay. And the teachers also were there in their homes. So the teachers also said that, okay, see, I'm switching on. So there's no problem. You also can switch on. Initially, you know, this was... This problem was there mainly in senior school children because senior school children, they feel that, you know, nobody should get into their houses and nobody should know how their life is. We had orientation programs for the parents also, and we explained to them and the parents also understood. We told them that, see, now school is in your homes. So you are running a school. So if you are running a school, you have to behave like the school head. So at nine o'clock, everything should be done in a way that the school is ready to operate. So this worked. So now the parents, whatever they're doing, they finish by nine and nine o'clock, the child is ready with books and notebooks and the child is ready to attend the classes. I've been into many of the, the busty homes, the slum homes, and they're normally about 10 foot by 10 foot with a, with a huge bed, uh, which is put on bricks. And some people are sleeping on the, uh, on the bed on the top. Uh, and the mother is normally cooking underneath the bed in a, on a kerosene stove or a, yeah. a gas stove. I mean, your teachers probably had never seen the inside of the, uh, the children's homes. Was that a positive experience for them? See, the teachers now can relate with the children more because the teachers can see when the children do not switch on their videos and some when they switch on the video, the teachers get to know what is happening. So teachers now know more, they know better about the children, that the condition in which the children, the slums from where the children are coming from, it is the life is really difficult there. So teachers now relate with the children better and they know that the children are really working hard to cope up with the situation. What is so nice to see, and I think a very positive thing of this whole pandemic, is that the, the parents have, have had the chance to, to be much more involved with the learning of their children. Normally, they are very removed from what's happening in school, whilst now it's just there. And because the teachers can also see what's happening in that small room, if there's a parent-teacher meeting, which can be attended with more people, we can really give important messages about the education to the parents or to the carers. And for instance, something simple like creating a quiet time for the children when they are studying. 
in the same room you've got cooking going on you've got um, people quarreling or you've got the toddlers who need to be looked after whilst an, an eight-year-old is attending a lesson and it's teaching them the importance about learning education um, the environment that they need to to make it productive COVID has in a way brought the future hope family closer so over the last few days we've been uh, doing uh, Zoom calls with all our families. So about 350 families of our children, class by class, we've done the parent-teacher meeting to talk to them about uh, their situation, what they're going through, whether it's COVID or whether it's their jobs and whether in the neighborhood that they're living, they have COVID cases. You know, so many of them are saying, we have a COVID neighbor. We have people here, you know, who are down. And this is very different from the first wave when we didn't see this in the community. But there's a lot of fear around the vaccine. You know, people, there are rumors, uh, there are the social media is uh, also fueling these rumors where people are saying, if you take the vaccine, then you get sick, you have fever, you know, you have complications. So we had to do a lot of counseling of our parents and tell them, take the vaccine when it's available. Many years ago, Poor people didn't see the value of education. They would see it was important when your child turns seven or eight, your little boy, get him on the streets, get him earning money, whether it's baking or cooking on a stall or whatever it was. And it's the same with your girls, get them working in the home, looking after the older people. Now what we're seeing is that the day scholars are positively seeing the, the good effects of education and also now saying, yes, it may be difficult for us now not getting these children working, but if we can get them to this level, we'll all be a lot better off. So for the first time in their lives, and it's extraordinary because it's really difficult to do, they're actually planning. They're planning long term. But you see that with the day scholars, it is much harder with the people on the streets. And we see still now a real pull from parents on, who live on the streets of, of their children, the need for children to work because they, they're another source of, uh, of income. And that is a real problem. Yeah, we've had one particular family who are completely high on, on, on glue uh, and a lot of alcohol as well. It's not sort of simple beer. It's the, the real hooch, the real strong sort of uh, white spirit sort of stuff. And they're high as kites by six in the evening. And they have continually come to us, I want my daughter back, I want my son back. And it's really tough. Yeah, the divide between the poor and the very rich is, is growing hugely. I mean, the rich children can get uh, smartphones, are, are able to do three or four hours every day of schooling. Children in the poor areas have no chance. And so we're talking about in the UK, uh, the poor children in this country are going to be far less well off than the, the rich ones. But it's a thousand times greater in India. I mean, there's just no education. And it's going to really put uh, India back tens of years or hundreds of years. But what I find so difficult now is initially Indians were always very positive. They thought, well, you know, we'll get through this. They weren't particularly worried about it. They didn't really take very much notice of lockdowns or whatever. We'll just muddle on, we'll be okay. Uh, that was fine through the first wave and the second wave. Now they're saying to me on the phone, I was talking to one of our alumni yesterday, uh, Tim Uncle, I don't know whether I'm going to survive. And I had to go back to him and say to him, you know, be strong, you'll be okay. We're almost there. Give it another 
six months, maybe three months or whatever, but you will get through. But there are so many people out on the streets in India who are really, their whole mentality is changing. It, 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 this normal enthusiasm for life uh, uh, and, you know, we'll get through it is being really very, very badly hit. And I see that as a very subtle change, but it, it is out there and they are all desperately worried whether they're going to get through it. There are no specialist mental health uh, people anymore. All of us are psychologists, you know, all of us need to connect and support the other person. And a couple of days ago, I was, uh, I've had sleepless nights, like Erica has sleepless nights and, and Tim has sleepless nights because we are all kind of, you know, our brains are ticking all the time, thinking what next should we be doing? So a couple of days ago, I felt myself that maybe I'm sick, you know, I'm mentally sick, maybe. Why am I reacting to everything in such an aggressive, difficult kind of way? Why am I even, even within my family not, you know, being a normal person? I don't know what a normal person is anymore, actually after uh, two years or two or one and a half years of uh, the pandemic. But uh, then I, I realized that I couldn't be like this. I couldn't behave like this. Even if I was sick, I have to look after myself because people are in thousand times more difficult uh, conditions than me, you know, and they are calling up and they want that solace. They want that support. And it's not me. All of us are. I mean, uh, the whole night, two of my colleagues have been up comforting this alumni whose mother has been so sick. So it's all of us have become psychologists, you know, and the messages are continuous from people who have a problem either with themselves or in their families or, uh, you know, a, a job or a medical problem. So it's, it's all the time. But we feel that we need to respond all the time. There's absolutely no safety net in India, and I think the government is now seeing this. Uh, they're, they're, they're very worried about uh, orphan children, and we had a, a call from the first, the first person who called me was a, was a wonderful man called R.K. Krishna Kumar, who was a great friend of Ratan Tata, and he said, Tim, uh, we are terribly worried about the orphans who've been made because of the pandemic. Can you help us? We'd like future hope to spearhead our campaign. We'll fund it and make sure that we can we can actually save these children who are otherwise going to be on the streets, who are otherwise going to have nobody looking after them. Wow, this is a massive big step for you, isn't it? Well, I think we have to take the step. And you see, if we get the support, if we get the funding, if we get the... Uh, what uh, Mr Krishna Kumar said to me was, look, um, don't worry about anything. We will... You provide the, the knowledge. What I like about Future Hope is the love and the care you give to children. And that's what we've always felt is it's very important to give children this love and the care in a secure family home brought up by responsible adults. But now, of course, the whole world is going away from that and said you can't have children's homes and you've got to uh, uh, get children adopted. But you're never going to be able to do that. And you're always going to have children on the streets who have nobody. I feel very, very proud. So I'm a future hope boy. You know, future hope is my blood not only myself, future has given a thousands of thousands of children's life in a new way. Do you understand what I mean? I do understand it very much. And I feel that these two, Tim and Erica, have the biggest family you could possibly have of maybe something they, like 3,500. Erica and Tim is our, uh, I'm saying the name, I'm sorry. In, in Indian culture, we cannot take the names. They are father and mother and our brother and sister with them. They, I am is their son. All future of children is their sons. 
My my family mm. joked with with uh, Tim Uncle and myself when um, just before we got married. The biggest joke was that we had 125 children before we got married. <laughs> yeah. I remember when you came first in Future Hope, and I was a very little boy. You came as a nurse. I remember that how the way you look after us and a lot of our naughty things you taught us how to tackle. You know? Yeah. So we <laughs> when we yeah. remember the first things is feel very proud, like we used to do the naughty things that you used to teach us. So that's the same thing what we try to do, all our future ex boys. We should teach others the good one. Like Tim Uncle said, always take my good one, never copy my bad one. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. That was a good piece of advice, yeah. wasn't but, but, but you always take my bad points and not my good points, which is rather disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know my heart. There are and downs for everyone. It's a game that's called life. We're all playing. There are ups and downs for everyone. The light that shines on a place called home where our talents and dreams shape up. Together we would show the world cause that's our future The first word is share things. Second word, help each other. Third word, be calm and polite. Number fourth word, expect number five word be happy last question number six what do you want to be when you grow up i want to be a footballer thank you